and we have been enjoying such a, a wonderful season today. We see a little snow just in time for some marvelous Christmas decorations that are here in the church, and this is one of my favorite seasons of the year, and I'm so grateful for that. And for those of you that are joining us online, I know that today we had equipment that we ordered 10 months ago and have started that, and today we have this new equipment in. Hopefully it, it provides better sound for those that are listening online, and I understand that the cameras are better. I'm sorry, I cannot look any better than, uh, than what you have seen. Unfortunately, high definition does me no good, but we are grateful for all of those that have worked so hard to uh, bring to the rest of our congregation. And frankly, we're, we, over the past several months, have still have about 45 to 47% of our congregation that feels as if they, they need to just watch online until we get through this. And so we're grateful that we can be together in that. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would take them, and we are going to be examining the fifth chapter of Revelation today. The title of this message is Behold the Lamb. Last week we talked about beholding the throne. Today we're diving into this fifth chapter, Behold the Lamb. And as we approach this fifth chapter in Revelation today, I want to remind you that last week when we were introduced to our first impressions of heaven, the theme that came out of that was, was John's initial reaction as he is allowed to be entering into heaven and he begins to take in the glory of God and tries to describe that in words that... Uh, as we said last week, there are opportunities that we have in our life where each of us see things that we don't know how to accurately describe to people that would listen to us what we have seen. It's just beyond description. And so we did our best last week to look at the throne and the light that was emanating from it, the 24 elders that surrounded the throne, the, the living creatures hovering continually in praise and, and representing all of creation and the crystal water that looks like a crystal sea that makes it so unapproachable and the glory of the Lord reflecting off of all of that that prohibited an, un, a, an unauthorized approach. And as I was thinking about that this week, just as kind of an introduction to this, I begin to think in my own mind, and maybe you've thought about this, what is it that you look forward to seeing in heaven the most? As you think about heaven, as you think about getting there, what is it that you think about the most? Because honestly for me, and maybe this is true for you and maybe not, but the first thing that I think about when I think about getting to heaven is, frankly, it's being reunited with people that have gone there before me. Is that not true with some of you? I think about I can't wait to see my mom again. I can't wait to see loved ones that have gone before. I've talked to enough people who have had pregnancies that did not make it to full term that they are looking forward to being reunited, or not reunited, but united with family members that they've never had a chance to meet yet. And oftentimes, because of the, the earthly circumstances we live in, the things that we feel that we have lost out on here, we look forward to being reunited when we get there. I do believe, however, that as we approach the word, one of the things that will overwhelm us and will set aside all of these other thoughts is the fact that we are instantly going to be transported into a glory of God that will be greater than anything we've ever described. Not that all of these other reasons and the reun uh, reunions that we have are not great reasons to hope for heaven, but the greatest reason which resounds to us through Revelation is we get to see God. In all of his glory. Now, I'm going to start this morning with this. I'm going to read you the entire chapter, and I would like, if you would, again, just 
to let your imaginations go as I read to you this fifth chapter, and then we'll go back through it a little bit at a time. John speaking. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one of them had a harp and were holding golden bowls full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Lord, so powerful and awesome is your word that even the vision of it is difficult for us to come up with. But Lord, here's what I ask now. You have told us that it is your desire that we would know you, that we would honor you. And so I ask that you would take your word this morning, O God, and that you would allow me as your servant under the anointing of the Holy Spirit with the limited ability I have to be touched in such a way that we could come to a greater understanding of this scene of behold the Lamb in the fifth chapter of Revelation. And so, Lord, we open up our hearts and ask that you would do an eternal work in this and in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago when Cindy and I were about to become parents for the first time, before our baby was born, we began to have the serious conversation of what would happen to us in the event that both of us died simultaneously. And we recognized that even at this early age, it would probably be wise for us to not let the state that we were living in at that time have control over what would happen to our children. And so we began to get our affairs in order and created our very first will. And for those of you that don't have one, I strongly encourage you. 
to go ahead and make a will. That will, through the years, I can tell you, has been changed and updated several times to reflect where we are in life and the fact our children are now grown and don't need somebody else to take care of them to raise them for us. But it is a legally binding document that should anything happen to us, it will be opened and our directions will be done. It is private, it is closed, and there is no need for it to be opened yet. And I'm hopeful that it doesn't need to be opened for quite some time. But when it does need to, it will be opened and it will be executed. As we look at Scripture today, I believe that this is a great illustration for helping us understand the first part of the Scripture in verses 1 through 5, which is a dilemma that begins to take place there. The scripture says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the, throne, on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and to open this scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And John wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside then one of the elders said to him, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. As this chapter opens, I think it would be good for us to have an understanding of the visual of what is taking place here. In Roman times, if an individual was to create a will, their last will and testament, what they would do is they would write it out on a scroll, and it would require seven witnesses. The seven witnesses would take that scroll that had been written on and each of them would tie a string around that scroll and so there would be, end up being seven different strings that were wrapped around that scroll. And then they would place on it a seal of their family crest or of their family authority onto that. In order for that will to be read, the individuals that had sealed it had to be there or... In the event that those people had died, whoever had the authority of the family or had control of that family seal would then come back and they alone would be able to break the seal of their family and open the will so that it could be read and it could be executed. And so what we are looking at in the fifth chapter of Revelation is the will of God that has been sealed with seven seals. It gives us an understanding of what is about to occur within this passage. That God has a will and it will be executed on this earth. Now the good news is that it doesn't have to be opened upon God's death because God doesn't die. And it exists, his will exists in heaven and it is secret and it is unknown and it is in his heart and mind. It's known only to him but it exists and it will come to pass on earth. Now, this was bringing comfort to a first century church, and it brings comfort to us today because it lets us know that our eternal destiny is in the hands of God. He knows what he's doing, and he is going to bring it to conclusion. Nothing and no one on earth has the right nor the power nor the authority to end human history but God himself. And how can we come to know the will of God? The scripture says to us that we come to know it through the Lamb of God. And the need of the Lamb is indicated in these first five verses as this dilemma begins to be unfolded. Now, since several of you have told me that you've enjoyed some of the history aspect of this, let me just tell you that a scroll in Roman time 
was made from the pith or the inside of a bulrush. And they would take it and they would literally break it apart and with the little uh, pieces of this leaf would lay it out horizontally and then they would turn it over and they would lay it horizontally and then they would rub it with mud and water so that it would hold together. Then they would beat it with a rock and then they would rub it with pumice so that it would have somewhat of a smooth surface to it so it could be written on. That was why the vast majority of all of the scrolls were only written on one side because you could see the horizontal lines from the leaves on one side of it. If something was written on both sides, it was because that person had a lot to say and had a lot of things to write. Now, as I was thinking about this season, how many of you are Christmas cards writers? How many of you are so wordy that you can't keep the message of your Christmas card in the little space that you're allowed within that card? And you draw an arrow to the other side as if nobody knew that that was where you were going to write next. And you bring the arrow up and it's like the message continues here. And then there are some of you that go ahead and you write on the back of the envelope too. So much do you have to say within this. And so when the scripture tells us that this, that this scroll of heaven, the will of God was written on, and that he sees that it's written on both sides, it means God has a lot to say and a lot to do to the earth in his will. So that is the nature of the scroll. God has so much to unfold for humanity. So great is the content of this will and mysterious that there is an invitation that's given out by a mighty angel. And it tells us, the mighty angel proclaimed in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Now, this mighty angel is not named to us. We don't know who it is. But we do know that so, strength, so much strength was needed that the voice carried out into the universe, all over all the earth, all over all of heaven, and over all of the universe... And the voice went out saying, who in the whole universe is capable of opening God's mind for the future? And the one qualification that the angel gives to us is the one who opens the scroll must be worthy. And the angel's call to this universal response was that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even to touch it to look inside of it to see what might be there as i thought about that picture that particular passage no one was worthy to declare god's mind it means that there was no angel that stands out above the other angels who could walk across this sea of water, this crystal glass-looking sea, and, and approach the throne and take the scroll from the hand of God. And there was no angel that could say, I am more worthy than the rest. Neither is there anyone in the human race that can say, I am more worthy than anyone else. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Abraham. It's not Peter. It's not Paul. Not even Mary could come. There was nobody what this says to me is that proves that all of us are incapable of righteousness on our own. There is none of us that are capable of producing what we need to be found worthy before the eyes of God were it not for the Lamb of God who makes us all worthy. We are all on the same ground of needing redemption. And John's response to this, his, his personal response is recorded for us. And it's very fascinating because John, who sees this and hears this voice and this pause in heaven, begins to weep. 
And he doesn't just cry. It says he weeps and weeps. In other words, this was a deep guttural cry, a sobbing that begins to take place. And as I looked at that, I said, why would he sob so much that there's no one that can look on the will of God? I think, first of all, we need to recognize perhaps John is weeping the same way we would when we recognize that without the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, we are all hopeless. Without Jesus in our life and without what he has done for us, there is no plan of God for us. We simply are existing. We simply are floating along. We are hopeless and we are helpless. Without the Lamb of God, we will break down and weep because it means that we will yet remain in our sin and that we will yet remain outside of the will of God and we will yet remain without hope of having the assurance of anything in this life. And so when there was nobody to open the scroll, he wept. I believe that the second reason that John wept is probably within the context of the age in which he lived. He was weeping because John was representing a suffering first century church. And he knew that they were suffering. And he, he was weeping because he said, if there is no hope out ahead, then I will sit down and weep because the powers of this earth are so very strong. And where is our suffering leading us if there is no hope? What is the point to everything? The hope of God's action for the future appeared to him to be indefinitely postponed. And so in his mind, he's thinking the church must continue to suffer with no hope of anything changing within the future. And so he sits down and he weeps at the hopelessness of life without Jesus. John's problem here is that he thought he was facing a future that would never be known. He thought that there was going to be no hope. But if John had only known that the Lamb of God was just around the corner, if John had only known that Jesus was about to make his appearance, how many times in our life have we felt so helpless and so hopeless and overwhelmed with everything that was going on in life and overwhelmed with health issues and wondering, Lord, how's this all going to come about? Little did we know that just around the corner is Jesus. He's just about there with his answer. He's just about to change everything. He's just about to step in and speak life into a situation. He's just about to elevate you and embrace you and answer all of your prayers and we sit there so helpless and hopeless and worried and Jesus is about to make an entrance how much of our grief would we be able to reveal or avoid if we just believed that he was coming and the elder steps up to John and says to him do not weep because I want you to look at the lion of the tribe of Judah this comes from prophecy of Jacob that he gave to his son Judah who would become a lion's whelp. And we read about that in Genesis chapter 49, verse 9. And so here is the strong conqueror of the tribe of Judah. Here is the root and the source of David, the one greater than David and the one before David. The lion is about to make his appearance in the throne room of God. And he has triumphed, the elder said. He has conquered so he can open the scroll seals. He has conquered. The word to heaven is this as it re regards Jesus. It's not a future word. He's coming and he will conquer. It is a past tense word. He has already conquered. He enters into this as the conquering Savior. The game's outcome has already been passed. It's already been determined. Weep not. He has conquered. Some of you need to know that today. You were living as if 
the results of your life are still up in the air. You are living as if the joy that you have in your life is, is thrown back and forth by the winds of your mood. Let me remind you today, the lion of the tribe of Judah has already won, and we are living in the victory of what he has done today. Jesus has lived, has died, has rose again. Therefore, it can already be said to a church and of the church that looks like it's very much on the ropes here on earth. Jesus has conquered. The outcome has been guaranteed. It's over. Jesus has clinched the victory. Weep not, the elder said, because he has conquered. Leads us to the solution that we find in verses 6 and 7. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is one of the most fascinating juxtapositions that I can find in Scripture. What did the elder tell John to look for? He says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what did John see when he looks up? Then I looked up and I saw a lamb. He was expecting to see the victorious lion, and instead he looks up and he sees the lamb. And he sees this little lamb. And in fact, in Greek, it's, it's literally called a little lamb that was already slaughtered. And John has been told to perceive the lion of the tribe of Judah, yet when he looks up and he opens his ears to see the lion, he looks and he sees the lamb because the lion is the lamb. The lion with the power has been receiving its power because it became a lamb. All the power of God in the personality of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in the innocence and the purity and from our point of view, the harmlessness of the quality of a lamb. And all the power of God is in him. Yet he does not act that way as he comes. He could come ferociously, yet he has come humbly to save. I want you to notice also the position where the lamb is. He's in the center of the throne. Do you see that? He's in the center of the throne. The reason that that is important is because he's about to be worshipped. And as a result of him being worshipped, we understand that humans aren't worshipped and angels aren't worshipped. Whenever angels would show up on the scene and people would see them in their glory, what would they do? They would fall down and the angel would go, no, 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 you get up. I'm not worthy to be worshipped. But this lamb that shows up in the center of the throne is striking in its appearance and is worthy to be worshipped. You know, when we look at all the nations of the earth, we find that nations are pretty good. In fact, even high schools do this and, and colleges. We, we supply symbols of an image that we want to give out. And so they select them to represent portions of their power, like the former Soviet Union, and they had a bear. And, you know, it was striking in its size and power and the potential threat. And India's symbol was a tiger that represented strength and stealth and agility and power. In America, we have the symbol of an eagle, that soars up into the air and it's, it's able to have a view of everything from a different perspective and yet it can respond quickly. It's fast and it's, it's agile. And yet the symbol of the power of heaven, get this, 
Anything was available to God to be the symbol. The symbol of the power of heaven is not a bear or a tiger or an eagle. It's the symbol of a lamb. The lamb of God here, which was seen as one that was already slain, it was slaughtered, its, its throat was cut. And in heaven, we still see the wounds on this lamb because its wounds are our guarantee. His scars are our guarantee that we can enter in because he was slain for my transgressions. And so this altered his nature forever and into eternity because of his love for us. But when we see this lamb, it is not dead. And although the lamb has been slain, this lamb is standing. This lamb is alive. He's ready to act. He's ready to march. He's on the throne, this lamb. And there's this intense drama that's about to take place in the book of Revelations. It's been described as the heavyweight contest of the universe is about to happen. And in the ring, on this side, enters the Antichrist, the beast who looks ferocious and fearful. And on this side enters Mary's little slaughtered lamb. And the beast doesn't have a chance. Not a chance. Because the lamb has all of the power. It's the lamb who can take the scroll and who can open it. It's the lamb who lives and his aspect of his life brings us power. And it's symbolized in the fact that he has seven horns. Now, I'm a farm kid. I, I recognized a long time ago when I was raising cattle, you never turned your back on a bull, and especially if the bull had horns. All it took was one horn to hurt. And yet the description here is that this lamb has seven horns, indicating seven being the perfect number, perfect in power, perfect in authority, perfect in every way. And it goes on to say not only is the symbol of his complete power, but he had seven eyes likewise, and they represent the spirits of God, the seven spirits of God that are sent all over all the earth. This is really fascinating. Now, we've talked a number of, of times already about how the, the Holy Spirit has been described in all of its manifestations from Isaiah, the seven of them. But here it's talking about the fact that all Although the Spirit of God is dwelling in heaven in the Lamb, He also is alive and well working on earth. He's omnipotent, He's omniscient, and His eyes and His knowledge encompass everything that's going on within all of our lives. So the symbolism is this. He's an all-powerful God. He's an all-knowing God, and He sees everything. And in this phrase, with Jesus having the eyes, it's the understanding the Holy Spirit is still at work within His church on earth right now. He's in this very room. But we understand that he is about the throne, and while he is the one slain, he is all-powerful right now, standing in the throne of God. I believe that this is a really fascinating way for all of us. How many of you have had a hard time describing to people the Trinitarian nature of God? You know, we, we, this is one of the things that we struggle with in language. How do we describe one God, three distinct persons, three distinct natures, it's so difficult for us, but here in Revelation, we see in this throne room scene the Trinity of God, God the Father on the throne, God the Son who cannot even approach the throne were he not for, to be God, who comes up and takes the scroll out of the Father's hands, and he represents within his slain body the work of the Holy Spirit. We see God at unity on the throne. That's how we know Jesus is God. 
It said he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne because only he had the power to open the will of God as it relates to earth. And he has it in his possession. But he doesn't open it immediately. You would expect that if heaven has been waiting this long for the lamb to come and take the scroll, that you, it would be like a Christmas present. You hand a Christmas present to a kid. They are not waiting for everybody else. They're going to rip that thing open, and you would expect that, and yet there is this, this sense of, of a divine pause that takes place here because he recognizes that the instinct of heaven is to see the Lamb in all of his glory take the scroll, and the instinct of heaven and the instinct of earth, which goes along with what the word of the Lord uh, spoke through our sister this morning, that there was a moment where everything stopped and praise erupted. Praise erupts in heaven. It's the instinct of the church to fall down and worship as well because the future is in the hands of the Lamb. Now, here's what I don't know. I, there's a lot of things I don't know. And there's some things in this book that we're going to have to speculate about. But here's, I don't need to know who the Antichrist is. I don't need to know the date of his coming. I don't need to know how it's going to be all put together. I just have to know that the future is in the hands of Jesus. He's holding the will of the Father in his hands. He's worthy to open the scroll. He's worthy to break the seven seals. And for the church that is victorious, where we know we are already on the side of the victorious one, what does it matter what's going to happen? He's holding the scroll. He's got the will. He's going to open it. And we're going to be blessed as a result of what takes place there. Because he is Lord God omnipotent. And that leads us then to the end of this chapter in verses 8 through 14. So before he does anything, worship takes place. So that when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. You, you might want to just underline that. The reason I say that is you're, you're going to discover, do you know the elders stand up and fall down a lot in this book? said, each one of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. This was not a song that they'd sang in the past. This is a brand new song. I don't know how they learned it, but they all sang it together. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased four God persons of every tribe and language and the people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard. Do you, do you get the sense that he is being overwhelmed with sound here? And in the middle of all of this cacophony of praise that's taking place, he's picking out different little sounds. And he goes, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. The first ones to worship are the four living ones. These, these living creatures that we discussed last week with the face of all creation Eyes everywhere and wings, they're hovering above the throne. And then surrounding them is the throne of elders, the 24 thrones around them. And, and then notice who they're worshiping. They're worshiping Jesus. 
They're worshiping the lamb. You don't worship an angel or a created being. And for all of those religious cults that come along to make Jesus something less than God, simply they do not have an understanding that the basis thrust of Scripture is this. You shall worship the Lord God only. And here worship is being given to Jesus because he is God. And Scripture goes on to describe them as they're holding harps and bowls. And then they fall down before the Lord. Now, I admit to you that there's difficulty in understanding. How do you not spill everything that's in the bowl if you're, not, if you're falling down? How do you not drop your harp? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they had more hands than we do. We'll get there when we'll see it when we get there. But they, they have these and they fall down before the Lord. In other words, there's music in heaven with the harp. But it describes these bowls as this. The fact that there's golden bowls and it's full of incense and the prayers of the saints. Do you know this morning your prayers have beat you to heaven? Your prayers are already worshiping God in his throne room today. There is an angel holding a golden bowl full of your prayers today before God. Think about that. There's an aspect of your spiritual worship that is already there, already praising, just waiting for your physical body to get there and join your prayers in the presence of Almighty God. And I want to just stop for a second and, and just say I am so grateful for our worship team that provides for us songs that so easily grab a hold of the truth of the word that particular day and the themes that take place. And we were singing about our incense rising up today. I'm grateful for that because it tells us in Psalm 141 too, let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting of my hands as evening sacrifice. And I want to just stop for a second to say this. When you have something that's valuable, you put it in a special place. Look where your prayers are placed in heaven. Sometimes you think less of your prayers than God does. Sometimes you, in, in times of prayer, think this, this isn't worth much. I want you to know your prayer is so valuable that God places it in golden bowls in the very throne room of God. And there's a new song that they're singing. Worthy is he to take the scroll and open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God every tribe, pe persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Let me tell you something. There's going to be ethnic unity in heaven because we've all been purchased. Now we recognize that last week we were talking about the song that they were singing in Revelation 4. We, they were singing because all creation is singing. They're singing and praising him for his creation. In Revelation 5, they're now praising him because of his redemption. They're praising him because of what he's done. The lamb is worthy. He's worthy because of the historical fact that he was slain. And through his being slain, we have been purchased to God. Jesus' death is an advantage to us because it paid the penalty of our sin. And the result of this fact is that Jesus has made us a kingdom a priests unto God. I am so grateful today that my citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven because I've been purchased by the lamb. Today, you have a citizenship. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, meaning that that is a citizenship that has been stamped by what Jesus has done for you. And if you don't know if you're there or not today, just wait a minute because you're going to get a chance. Today is going to be the day of your salvation. To the worship of the elders, they all joined in. 
And they sang and ascribed seven qualities to God. They, they, they worshipped him for his power. In other words, they were saying to him, you are the one who not only has the power to plan something, you have the power to conceive it and to execute your plan. They praised him for his wealth. Praise be to you because of your riches. There are a lot of things that we would like to do, but our resources run thin. Oh God, your resources never run thin. They praised him for his wisdom. You have the power and the wealth, but you also have the wisdom because we know a lot of people that may have power and wealth, but without wisdom, they used it so foolishly. But you have the wisdom, oh God, to know what to do. They praised him for his strength because you have might. There is no situation that you cannot cope with. Oh, hallelujah to know that we serve a God today who has the strength to cope with every situation that your life may ever come up against with. He's got the strength. We praise you because you have honor. You've earned that honor. There's a glory about you. There's a radiance to you, Lord, that just separates you from everything else because of your glory. There's no one like you. And then, interesting enough, at Christmas time, what do you give a God who has everything? Any of you ever have trouble buying gifts for people because they're just hard to buy for? You know, some of you go, man, they've got everything. I don't know what to get them. What do you get God? Your praise. Your praise. He demands that the gift of your praise be given to him. And then the whole universe picks up the song here. It starts around the throne and this crescendo begins to build out. And John's vision as he steps back begins to see things unveiled around him. And then it says this, Then I heard every creature on heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, they begin to join in this chorus, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Do you recognize that this indicates to us that there is a built-in frequency in creation that we may not be able to hear, but God hears? How many of you remember the old-time radios where if you wanted to change a station, you didn't push a button or you didn't just tell your car, here's the station, but you actually had to turn a knob? And as you turn the knob, the frequency would move and you would catch something on a different frequency. This is what's happening here. The frequencies of creation are being unveiled and, and things that we can't hear with our ears. Creation is singing right now. Creation praises with us right now. And it goes into this great detail about where everything is under the earth, on the earth, in the sea, on the sea, all around things we can't see. They are all singing praises to God right now. And it's the frequency of God that he begins to let John hear what's taking place. And they join in the chorus praising the Lamb and all of the created order. And it says then that the elders say amen and fall down and worship. Do you know, we learned a little bit about the frequency that God can speak when he was in a boat in a stormy night and he gets up and he had the ability to speak to nature and its frequency. He gets up after that, you know, everybody's worried, and Jesus just gets up, and in that frequency says, hey, water, shut up. Wind, settle down right now. And like children obeying a parent, because he spoke the frequency. This is going to be one of the great things about us when we get to heaven. Do you know there will be no language that will be held back from us? We'll understand everything. We'll have the frequency of praise of the whole universe, things that we've never dreamed about, and we will join the choir and singing to God the praises in every frequency. Worship team, would you please come? I, I want to conclude it this way. And, and honestly, we could have spent weeks in this chapter, but I hope that you've gotten enough to have an understanding. By the way, it's about to get good. It, it's been good. It's about to get weirdly good. 
as we get into the breaking of the seals. Does this help you to understand the will of God? Understand the scroll? Who's in charge of it all? It comes down to this. How are you going to respond this morning? How is this going to affect your vision of life and your vision of serving God? How's this going to affect your spiritual vision? I believe that there are two words that I want to leave you with this morning, and and you may want to just jot them down. And the two words are this, make or break, or make and break. Because I don't see how you can look at chapters 4 and chapter 5 and you begin to put them together and it doesn't make you want to worship. If you can remain worshipless through these two chapters, then you need a revival in your soul. Because worship takes place all around us on a daily basis. All of creation and all of heaven and all of earth, everything is singing up and rising up in worship. So does this make you worship? It should drive you to a place of praise every day of your life. The second word that I think that you need to be hanging on to about this is break. And it probably comes from a less obvious place, but John wept loudly when he saw originally that there was nobody to open the scroll. And you know why he wept loudly? I think he probably continued to weep, not in the same way that he did after he saw the lamb, but he continued to weep because he recognizes as we get into this, what's going to happen to those who have not met Jesus. If you can read Revelation and not have a heart broken for the lost, then you need a soul transplant. And John begins to weep because it's about to get beyond desperate for those that don't know Jesus.